you've got your Bible, I want to invite you to join me, Psalm 23. Psalm 23. All right, we're going to just, we're going to send them out in the parking lot. Y'all go get them when we're done. Have you a grand time. It'll be all right. They got to grow up sometime. We'll just turn them loose. That'd be all right. Go out there and entertain themselves. All right, again, thank you to our teachers. We, we love our teachers. I'm going to tell you my teaching story. The year was 1975. I know, your mama hadn't met your daddy yet. 1975, and I'm a senior in high school. I was, a, I was not a good student by any stretch of the imagination. Matter of fact, I was, I, was, I was arrested the first time at 14, and I was a troubled student. I was a senior in high school, and it was, a, it was the period when you had all those riots going on in high school. And I was arrested in 1975 for supposedly starting a riot in our high school. Of course, I had to deal with the police. And also, the school was going to kick me out of school for what I did. Well, turns out the principal couldn't kick me out forever. He could only kick me out for three weeks. So he gave me the full measure. I had a, had a meeting there, you know, with the principal, assistant principal. I think my mama was there. And the principal said, we're going to suspend you for three weeks. And I said, I'll just drop out, which I didn't want to go to school anyway. He said, fine. He was thrilled not to have me back there. So I got up my left. I'm walking down the hall. And the assistant principal came up behind me, took me by the elbow. He said, come in here a minute. And uh, pulled me into his office. right there. Pulled me into his office, closed the door. And he said to me, it is important to me that you graduate. And he said, you could have had a wreck and been out of school for three weeks and come back. He said, you do your time. And he said, you come back in three weeks and you find me and said, I'm going to help you. I'll help you catch up with your work and I'm going to help you graduate. He said, you may not want to graduate, but I care whether you graduate or not. And it was the concern in his voice that caused me to come back, graduate from high school. Of course, if he hadn't intervened, I wouldn't have graduated. I wouldn't have gone to college and my life would have taken a totally different turn. Now, I tell you that to say this, <clears throat> in my line of work, I'm not going to help everybody, but I'm going to help somebody. Yes, sir. As a teacher, you're not going to get them all, but you're going to help somebody. Yes, and do not let the aggravations you have to put up with stop you from helping somebody. You don't teach for a paycheck. I'm sure you can look at yours and tell that. You don't teach for a paycheck. As I said, my wife, both daughters, my daughter-in-law are teachers. You don't teach for a paycheck. You teach to change the world. And my wife, she is 63 years old, still teaching, plans on teaching until Jesus comes back. I walk her out at 6.15 every morning to get in her car. And I tell her, I said, baby, you're going to change the world today, one child at a time. And it's worth it. Listen, it is worth it. Uh, something's happened in this nation where we worship easy. There are two roads. There's the easy road and there's the good road. And we need to get back on the good road and quit worrying about the easy road. So we applaud teachers and love you and appreciate you. And uh, you may not see it. There's going to come a day, almost 50 years later, last April, my dad passed away. He was promoted to the church triumphant. That assistant principal, his name was Dick Lamb. After he retired from teaching, he became a funeral director. And he directed my dad's funeral. He was 85 years old last April. Matter of fact, he pushed my dad's casket out of the church that day. Came over to me and he said, boy, I said, I'm proud of you. He said, you've done good. I'm real proud of you. And I said, if you hadn't caught me in that hall that day, I'd have taken a totally different turn. And I was able to thank him for having concern for one kid that he'd have been a whole lot easier if he'd have just kicked me out. But uh, there was that sometimes we just need to stick our noses in there and say, I'm going to help somebody with my life and I'm going to live to help people. So we, we love teachers. Didn't mean to belabor that, but thank you so much for what you do. And you are appreciated. <laughs> I, I tell you, I, I just think they'd send me to jail. I, I just, you know how you, you can't do what you can't do and you always admire what other people can do. I can't sign my name where you can read it. And I could not teach, but thank God for those who can. And we appreciate you. And you parents, 
My wife teaches, and uh, she'll tell you the kids are not a problem. The parents are idiots. (laughs) Can I get a teaching amen on that? Yes, sir. (laughs) Parents, cheer for them teachers and leave them alone. Don't take it. Listen, when you're young and comes home and complains, don't call the teacher. Take them in the bedroom and whoop them. (laughs) Now, back when I was driving a Model A... (laughs) And yet something happened. You didn't go. You, the only thing you prayed was that word did not get back home. Because nobody took the child's side. Many was the time. Even, I was a criminal elementary school. <laughs> Mr. Thomas, he was nine foot tall, wore a skinny little black tie and a white shirt. He came in and he said, young man, come with me. Pulled me out of class. He said, you set your butt in that chair right there. When school was over, I sat in that chair. With school. He said, get in my car. And he drove me to my house. And my mama came out the back and said, Miss Beggar said, we had a little trouble with your son at school today. And she looked at me. She said, I'll take care of this. She said, wait, don't leave yet because my mama sold Amway. And she went inside, got a box of them SA8 soap powder, said, give this to Miss Thomas. Mr. Ms. Thomas, thank you for coming. And he turned around and drove off. And I'll never forget feeling, do not leave me here with her. <laughs> mama was pro-teacher back then. And we need to be pro-teacher now. All right, enough of that. Psalm 23. All right. We're in a study right now called Show Us the Father. This comes out of John chapter 14, where a man that was one of Jesus' followers, you know, disciples are, the Greek word means learners. These are people that were learning how to live. And one of his followers said to him, show us the Father. We, We see you and we can tell that you know God by the things you can do. So tell us what God's like. And Jesus answered him in verse nine and he said this, he's been standing beside you for two years. And you didn't know it. And they were shocked because what they thought God was like and what he really turned out to be when they saw him was two different things. My story. I was taught that God hated people like me. I was such a bad person. I was taught that he was mad at me. And I met him. I was shocked. He was not mad at me. You know what I found out? He was good. And so that's what we're doing. We're going through the Bible, looking at pay off. The Bible is a book. The Bible's not a book about me or life or the end times. The Bible's a book about God. And it shows us what he's like. And we're in Psalm 23 right now. And we read that he's a shepherd. I shall not want, contrary to what I was taught. I can remember being taught by preachers. He'll meet your needs, but he won't give you your wants. That's a lie. Right. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. He's done that for me. There's not another thing I want in my life. God's been good to me. And we ride through that. And today we get to verse six, which says this. Surely, not possibly, surely, not maybe, surely, goodness and mercy will follow me every day of my life. Every single day of my life, goodness and mercy are going to be on me. Now, I need to turn that around for you. Uh, You know, the Bible's written in two languages, Old Testament Hebrew, New Testament Greek. Original language, it would read like this. Certainly, mercy and goodness will follow me all the days of my life. The mercy has to go in front of the goodness. And let me tell you why. <clears throat> in the Bible, there's one great word. Of all the words in there, there's one great word. But it's in two different languages. It's a different word in the Old Testament than the New Testament because it's two languages. In the New Testament, the word is agape. It's the Greek word agape, and it's the word love. But it's a specific love. It's the love of God. Now, we have a problem with translation from Greek to English because our languages don't match up well like Spanish and English. And for instance, in the, in the English language, we have, <clears throat> we have one word for the word love, and it's the word love. I love hot dogs. Love my wife. 
Surely I'm hoping you love your wife more than you do your hot dogs. But we just have one word for love, whether it's hot dogs, fishing, wife, God. <clears throat> we have one word. But in, that, in the Bible, in that language, they have numerous words for the word love. There's the word philos, which means friendship love. That's where we get the word Philadelphia. It's two Greek words, Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, where brothers love each other. Uh, Storgate, we have the word uh, eros. We get our word erotic from it, which means sexual love. But there's a word in the Bible, agape, and it can only be used for God himself. And it's translated the love of God. No human being can do it. Nobody can love perfectly like he can. It, it's, uh, here's, the, here's the best way I know to describe it. Uh, Francis Chan wrote a book a few years ago called Crazy Love. You can't explain it. It's just cuss me, hate me, despise me. I will never stop loving you. That's the love of God. God demonstrates his love in that while we were his enemies, he died for us. You just can't explain. It's just the, it's the undeserved. There's no explanation. It's this burning love in the heart of God for human beings that Jesus manifests on the cross. And it's, it's just theirs. Just, and that's the word <clears throat> agape. Well, in the Old Testament, it's the word, uh, it's a different word. And this one we're looking at in this Psalm it's the word hesed or hesed, Hebrew word hesed. And that's the word mercy. It's translated loving kindness, mercy, grace, or goodness in the Old Testament. And in this case, it says the mercy of God will be on me every day of my life. The unconditional, unexplainable God's heart will burn for me every day of my life. All right. Because of the love of God that's on me, then the goodness of God's going to be on me. All right. My son had a birthday yesterday. He's 26. And we just stacked up the presents. We had a big day, celebrated, gave him presents. Guess why we gave him the gifts? We, we were good to the boy. I was, I was very good to the boy. Guess why we were good to the boy? Because we love him. I don't do stuff because I have to. I do stuff because I want to at this age. We did it to him. We gave him all that stuff because we love him. You know what giving him that stuff is called? We were good to him. I love that boy, so I'm good to him. That's Psalm 23, 6. God loves me, so he's good to me. And let me tell you something. What about my bad days? What does it mean all the days of my life? Does anybody ever have a bad day? He's just as good to me on my bad days as he's on my good days. You know why? He doesn't love me because I'm good. He loves me because he's good. Religion's taught you all your life. You be good, he'll be good to you. That's a damnable lie. It's not born in scripture. He's good to me because he is good. And every day of my life, God's, God's heart's gonna burn with love for me and he's gonna be good to me. And it's going to be wonderful. This is the, here's the message today. God's looking for somebody to be good to. That's all he's looking for. He's looking for somebody to be good to. Now I was taught as a young man when they drugged me to church. I mean, I did a lot of drugs and one was they drugged me to church, but they drugged me to church and I was taught God's going to get you. Wicked as you are, God's going to get you. Let me make an announcement. He big. If he's going to get you, you'd have been got by now. But he's not out to get you. He's trying to help you. He's trying to be good to you. He's looking for somebody to be good to. And that's the whole Bible is a picture of a God that's trying to be good to somebody. You know what this is? This is the heart of the Father. More than you need to learn who the Antichrist is in the book of Revelation. More than you need to learn about Rehoboam, Jeroboam, and all the other Boam boys. Let me tell you, the number one thing you need from the Bible, you need to learn the heart of God. Because everything rises and falls on the heart of God in this universe and in your life. All right, we're going to look at three pictures God's looking for somebody to be good to. I want you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. 
Now, <clears throat> you got to understand something. The whole Bible is a book revealing God. Uh, matter of fact, Jesus, when he was walking on the earth and he spoke and he said, you search the scriptures all the time. Of course, at that time, all they had was the Old Testament. He said, you read the Old Testament all the time. But he said, the Old Testament is a book that points to me. There was the Old Testament as a book about Jesus. You say, I don't see Jesus nowhere in the Old Testament. Yes, you do. Just remember this. Anytime you read the Old Testament, you need to be asking, where's Jesus in here? Because he said, it's a book about me. So you can come to me. Every story is a type. It's a picture. The, the ark. Do you remember the ark that Noah built? Guess who the ark is? It's Jesus. Hide in Jesus. Escape the stuff to come. Uh, everything in there is Jesus. Now, here's one of the great pictures that he shows us in the Bible. And you're in here. Second Samuel chapter nine. Uh, king David was the ruler over Israel at the time. Greatest king that ever lived. This was at the height of Israel's kingdom. He'd conquered everything. Second uh, Samuel nine, three. The king said, is there somebody of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to? There's that word. See the word kindness? It's the word hesed that we talked about. What's he saying? He's sitting on his throne. He said, now, the house of Saul was his enemy. He said, is there anybody among my enemies that I can be good to? Find me somebody I can show the kindness of God to. Uh, all right, watch what a servant named Ziba said. There's a son of Jonathan. He's crippled, lame in his feet. King said, where's he at? He said, he's in a place called Lodabar. Verse five, the king David sent and brought him out of the house of Maker, son of Amba from Lodabar. He said, go get him. Oh, you got to understand this. This young man was the grandson of the previous king. His name was Saul. Well, when a new king comes in, you kill every one of the previous king's families. Automatic. They did that for years because you don't want an insurrection from that family. So what happens is when a new king's crowned on that day or coronation crown, <clears throat> the preceding king's family, they run for their lives and they go into exile so they won't be killed. Well, that's what happened to him. And the reason he's crippled the day David was uh, made king, a nursemaid picked him up. He's just a little toddler, picked him up. She tried to run with him and she fell and it crippled him. It crippled the rest of his life. Right, he's in this place called Lodabar, which uh, it's just a slum. It's just a pathetic way to live. He's living in squalor and filth and it's just terrible. He's living in this terrible place, but he was still the previous king's son. David said, is there somebody I can be good to? And I uh, said, well, he's, he's th this guy, a guy knew of him, said he's down there. David said, go get him. All right. This guy spent his whole life, he's an adult now, he spent his whole life hiding from the king so he don't get killed. All of a sudden, one day, wherever he's at, soldiers show up and they ask him, are you Mephibosheth? He said, I am. He said, come with us. He knew it, it's over. They take him straight to David's palace. They take him in before the king and the Bible said he falls down before him. Let's read it. He goes into the king's uh, throne room. <clears throat> Verse six, for Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, he fell on his face. David said, Mephibosheth, he said, here's your servant. David said, do not be afraid of me. I will surely show you the kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and restore to you so forth and so on. He shocks him. He's brought before the king. He just knows he's going to get killed. And so he lays down on the floor and the king speaks to him and says, you don't need to be scared of me. You don't need to be afraid. I brought you here to be good to you. But you can read the rest of the story. He said, I give you everything in Israel that belonged to Saul. He gave him vineyards, groves, uh, farmable land. He made him a multimillionaire just like that. He said, I'm going to give you 35 servants to tend your land and take care of your affairs. He said, but you're not going to need it because today you're going to move into my house with me. You'll be my son. You'll eat dinner with me every night. And this guy came, thought he was going to get killed by this king. And the king just 
just pours this goodness out on him. And he's just shocked. And uh, what's this all about? Remember, the Old Testament is a book about God. Guess who the king is? Guess who Mephibosheth is? The story of my life. I was crippled in the fall. We all have trouble walking straight because of what we inherited, sinful nature. And I think God's mad at me. I think God's going to kill me based on what Christians have told me. All of a sudden I get to know him and he tells me, I'm not mad at you. He said, I'm bringing you to myself so I can be good to you. And he has blessed me tremendously. This is a picture of, and guess what's happened ever since I had this encounter with him. You know what's happened? Every day, his goodness and his mercy have been behind me. Mercy and God. Every time I look in the rear view mirror, I see goodness and mercy just running after me. I'm, a, I'm living under the mercy and goodness of God. It's just, it's crazy what he's done for me. Do you think I deserve it? The kind of life I lived? You say, what do you mean live? We know you now. <laughs> I don't deserve it now. All right, picture number one. Picture number two, turn to Matthew chapter 20. I love this right here. Matthew chapter 20. The Bible is a book about God to show you what he's like. And it paints pictures all through the Bible, pictures so we can get the correct picture in our hearts. You know what I'm beginning to think? I've been doing this 40 some years, talked to thousands of people. I'm beginning to think there's a villain out there somewhere that's lying. I'm beginning to think there's somebody out there not telling the truth about life, about God, about me, about you. I think there's a villain in this story. There was nothing on this planet that's going to make sense till you understand there is a God that is good and there is a villain in the story. Matthew chapter 20 is the great picture. It begins like this. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like. Now just stop right there. We're not talking about heaven up in the sky. The kingdom of heaven is what God is doing in the earth. Now I have to say this over and over. We're not talking about church here. We're not talking about the organized, institutionalized church that you see on street corners and all the organizations. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the activity of God in the earth. What his spirit's doing in the earth. So always distinguish between. Now we have an organized institutionalized church in America. And he's in there to some degree. But it was the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is what God's doing in the earth. So he said, I'm going to paint you a picture of what it looks like where God's working in the earth. Wonderful picture that'll encourage you. He said, here's what it's like. It's like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Got it? So he's a, he owns a vineyard. It's time to pick the grapes. I don't know what you know about grapes. I grow them. But when, they, when it's time to pick them, it's time to pick them. You can't wait a month. You got to get them then. And it, they, they tested them. They're just right to make wine out of. We got to have help today. Well, you don't keep that kind of stuff on staff. When they're ready to pick, you go to the day labor place where men are hanging around looking for work and you pick up, you hire a crew for the day. You bring them back and they pick the grapes. So that's what he's doing. He goes to the day labor place. And uh, verse two, they agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day. He sent them into his vineyard. Day labor today in North Carolina for vegetables or, or fruit is about $100 a day. It's about what you get paid. So let's say $100. Verse three, he went out about the third hour, saw others standing idle in the marketplace, said to them, you go in the vineyard. Apparently his supervisor came and said, we're not gonna have enough help. So he goes out at nine. They started at six. They worked from six in the morning, to six in the evening. He goes out at nine to get some more help. All right. And uh, verse five, he went out about the sixth hour, ninth hour, so he goes out at lunchtime. He goes out at three o'clock. We're just more grapes than we thought we had. He keeps going back and getting more help because they want to get them all in today. Now watch what he does in verse, uh, verse uh, six. About the 11th hour, which is five o'clock in the afternoon, he went out and found people standing around in the marketplace. He said, why have you been standing here all day? 
They said, nobody hired us. I watched what he said to them, verse seven. You go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will pay you. They didn't know what they were going to make. They had no idea what he was going to pay. How many of you take a job not knowing what it paid? All right, he, he says, come with me. He said, get in the truck. Well, work with me, truck here. Get in the truck. And he said, I'll, I, just, I need you for one hour and I'll treat you good. So they go to work for this man having no idea what he's going to pay him. He might rip them off because he didn't promise them anything. Or he might pay them standard wage. Who knows what he'll do? So they go and they work. All right, uh, verse nine, that's verse eight. The evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the uh, paymaster, the boss, pay the laborers uh, what their wages. Start with the last. Verse nine, when those came who were hired about the 11th hour, they received $100. All right, you work for one hour, you expect them $10 maybe. You get up to the tailgate of his truck. He said, how long did you work? He said, one hour. He counts out $100, hands it to you. Were they expecting that? Now, what, what are we talking about here? God is like. The kingdom of God is like. So he pays these guys 12 hours wages for one hour's work. All right, got a little problem here. Watch what happens. First, uh, verse 11, when they had received it, verse 10, when the first came, they supposed they'd get a, a denarius and they received each a denarius, get more, they received a denarius. When they received it, they complained against the landowner. These guys worked 12 hours. They come up, they got $100. Now they're mad. Now they're screaming, you're not fair. Saying, verse 12, these guys only worked an hour and you, you paying them the same thing we got for working 12 hours. So we're saying God's not fair. He's not fair. They're mad here. Watch this. He answered and said to them, verse 13, I'm not, am I doing you, am I doing something wrong here? Did we not have an agreement? He said, I gave you what I told you I'd give you. Watch these words. <clears throat> Take what is yours and go your way. Watch these words. I wish to judge people. That's not what it says. I wish to give things to people that they don't deserve. It was, this, is, this is teaching you about God. This is the heart of God. I was taught he's, he, he wants to judge everybody and get them. You know what this book teaches me? He wants to be good to people. He's the God who pays 12 hours wages. I tell him a lot of times, I praise you that you pay 12 hours wages for one hour's labor. And he, he's wanting to be good to people. Let's go a little bit further here. He says, it, it's, uh, it's okay for me to do that. Verse 15, he asks a question. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Let's answer that. I maybe think it's legal for God to do what he wants to. I mean, that's not a hard question. What do you think? Yeah or nay? Well, let me ask you a question. What does he own? He created joy. He created music. I'm, he created love. He created marriage. Did y'all know that? Y'all like, got him on Sunday mornings. He created everything. He created fish and fishing. He, he created sex. It finally got some men to say amen in the church here. He created everything there is. He created, he created commerce. He created chillings. Behold, children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his. He created everything. So he owns everything. So is it legal for him to give his stuff away? It might bother you, but I want to make an announcement. It's legal. I told her the crowd, I was in college and I started dating this girl and some folks, on, boys on my floor, they were shocked that she'd go off with somebody like me. He owns women. If he wants to give me the greatest wife in the world that I don't deserve, he, he can do what he wants to. I've had preachers get mad at me over my church. Jealousy. I'm a truck driver. I never went to seminary. I, I, don't, I can't even quit cussing yet. And they're perfect. 
They're preaching to 150 that stay asleep and I got thousands that love God. It's not fair. Take it up with the one who gives people stuff. I mean, I've been blessed beyond measure. I'm, I'm one of the happiest people you ever met. He created happiness. Happy is the man who God is the Lord. You'd be surprised that the people get mad because God is good. You know what my deal is? Keep smiling. Here's the point. He owns everything. If he wants to give me stuff I don't deserve, is that legal? Absolutely. Watch these words. Let's read 15 again. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Is your eye evil because I am what? Good. What does God call himself right there? Remember, this is a passage. The kingdom of God is like a man who is so good. He wants to give people things they don't deserve, even if it makes people mad over his goodness. That's the God of this book. This is the God of heaven right here. He's not this stodgy guy who wants you to quit smoking and quit cussing and quit drinking and quit farting and quit breathing and quit burping and quit everything. I don't see that in here. I see a God who's looking for somebody to be good to. And he's, this, is, this is the picture of his kindness. One more, Luke chapter 15. Turn with me. Luke chapter 15. The day Jesus went to Hooters. I said that one time somebody got mad. Read it. <clears throat> somebody saw me one time. I was... I had a motorcycle I was going to sell it. You know, I used to ride Harley Davidson until cell phones came. And uh, I had this Harley I was going to sell. It's an Electroglide. And I was dealing with this guy. He was sort of a sketchy fella. And he said, I got a guy who wants to buy it. I said, well, fine. He said, meet me over at Hooters. And I started to say, can't we meet at the Shake and Bake? I thought, why don't you just go to Hooters? And that way, if one of your church members drives by and sees you, and it'll give them something to do with their lives. And lo and behold, gave somebody something to do. I started taking my shirt off and just stand out in the parking lot. I said, if we're going to fuss, let's fuss big time. Watch what happens. Luke 15. Now remember, this is a picture of God. Luke 15, 1. All the tax collectors and sinners circled around Jesus to listen to him. And you can read by another verse. He's in an outdoor cafe and he's eating with it. Well, it's verse 2. And the ministers, Pharisees and scribes, those are ministers, complained saying, this man is sitting with sinful people and he's eating with them and literally he's enjoying them too. So you've got Jesus sitting in a place like Hooters, outdoors so they can see him and every hellion in the town is trying to get around him and he's eating with them and having the best time in life and, and it just tears preachers up and they can't understand how this guy who claims to be God could be sitting with such bad people. They just can't stomach this stuff. A lot of them still can't. And it's important that you learn that because the next verse says, so. See the word so? That means because you're mad because of the way I'm treating bad people, I'm going to tell you a story. So he spoke this story or pair. Remember, picture? He said, I'm, going to give, I'm not going to argue with you, but I'll paint you a picture. Listen to this. Since preachers don't understand what God's really like, I'll paint you a picture and I'll show you what he's like. Now remember, Jesus is trying to teach you what he's like. And he paints two. Let's look at the third one. Verse 11, a certain man had two sons. Now remember, this is made up. He's painting a picture. The younger said, give me some money. And he left. Verse 13, he left his father's house, went to a far country. And it says he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. We don't talk like that. He went to Las Vegas and raised hell till he went broke. Yeah. Verse 14, he spent all. A famine came. He didn't have anything to eat. He went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. He got a job feeding pigs. Verse 16, he would have eaten the pig food, but they wouldn't let him. He's in a mess now, isn't he? I rode out there beside, he, he thought it was going to be good, didn't he? 
I wrote out there in my Bible beside that Proverbs 14, 12, which says this. There is a way that looks good to start with, but in the end, you're destroyed. Can anybody here bear witness that there is a way it looks so good to start with? But before long, it backfired on me. I need a shepherd who don't do me that way. I'm not as smart as I think I am. So watch what happens. Verse 17, he came to himself. He said, my father's servants, actually hands on the ranch. They're throwing food in the garbage and I'm starving to death. I'm going to get up and go to my father and I'm going to tell him I, I made a mistake. I sinned against you. I want you to look at so this learns in verse 19. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. This is what certain type of living does to people like you and me. Can you, I don't know if you can write in your Bible. If you can't, put that on the coffee table and get one you can. In my Bible, I have the word, verse 19, I have the word no circled where it says worthy. Kick off the Y and put the word worth. You know what he said? I have no worth. I'm a worthless human being because of the way I've lived. How many times does this get in people's heads with the enemy of our souls because of what I've done, I'm not worth anything anymore. And he said, I'm not worth anything. I can't be a son. He said, if you just give me a job, it'll keep me from starving. And he was going to spend the rest of his life just trying to survive because of the mistakes he'd made. How many people beat themselves up because of what they've done? And they end up saying, I have no worth anymore. And this is the junk that was in his head. But here's the surprise. Now remember, what's the only reason he's going home? He's starving. He get out, verse 20, got it, went to his father. When he's still a great while, his father saw him and said, if he thinks he's going to come crawling back up here after all he's done. No, this is the reason he's telling this story. He said his father saw him and he had compassion. He looked at him and he felt something. Now listen, compassion's not love. Love is a decision. I choose to love you no matter what I feel. That's love. Compassion's when you do feel something right here. It's when you watch the St. Jude's children hospitals and something in your heart hurts. That's compassion. This man looked at this son who had stuck it to him every way he could and his heart was tender when he saw him. All right, listen. Yay for this boy. But this Bible's here to help me and you. Everybody sitting in this room right now, God's looking at you. What does he see? What does he feel? As a father, Psalm 103, as a father has a tender heart toward his children, so the Lord has a tender heart toward those who honor him. One of the, the greatest need of your life is to know the heart of God toward you. To know that he's not mad, that when he looks at you, he feels compassion. And that he's good. Now, I've got children. Perhaps you've had children. I would lay down my life for my children. He did lay down his life for his children. And I have pictures of my children. I got too many. And uh, in my little office, I have a picture of my kids and their little guys to get my sweetheart's wedding picture hanging up there. I adore her. I look at those kids and there's a tenderness in my heart. When this man looked at this boy, he felt compassion. Remember, Jesus said, I will show you what God is like. When he looks at you, his heart's tender. He doesn't see worthlessness. He sees his child. And he looked at him. He felt compassion. Verse 20, ran, fell on his neck and kissed him. It looks like an emotional man to me. What do you reckon? This staid, stern, stiff God of religion is not the God of the Bible. The man who tells me to make a joyful shout to him and serve him with gladness, that ain't the mad wizard of Oz. That's a glad God. All right, and watch what he did. Said to a servant, well, the son goes in this rigmarole about I'm not worthy. He just cut him off. 
said to a servant, go, go get the best, uh, go get the best robe, put it on him, put a ring, sandals on his feet. He did not clothe the boy. He told that servant, go to my closet, get the best suit I got, Western suit I've got, get my best cowboy boots out of that closet and bring him another copy of the family credit card. Would you hand a credit card to a boy who'd done this? That, was, that ring was not for decoration. It was the family signet ring. You could buy with it. You could purchase with it. You hand a boy like it's a credit card. He said, I, I wouldn't do that. You ain't him. And he dressed him. He didn't, he didn't give him good stuff. He gave him the best stuff. And then he said, we're not done yet. And verse 23, bring the fatted calf. Get, you know, kill the steer. Kill it. Let us eat and what? Now, your Bible may say, be merry. We don't do that here. We don't talk. Be glad. We're going to be glad. And they began to be glad, began to eat and be glad. We're going to, he is so, can you, listen, God is excited about you. God is excited about this boy. This boy deserved judgment, but he got mercy and he was excited. And was it good to him? Now, why is Jesus telling this story? He's telling it to preachers who don't understand how good God is. And this rocked their world. They couldn't take a God that was good to sinful people. Many people still can't. All right, we're not, not quite done with the story yet. There's somebody else in here. Who was it that was not happy because the boy came back home? Fatted calf. <laughs> Dollar to a donut, he wasn't wild about it. There was two people who wasn't happy. Verse 25, his older son was in the field. He heard music and dancing. That dancing, if, you're bad, if you've got a Baptist Bible, dancing won't be in there. He called one of the servants and said, what, what does this mean? He said, verse 27, your brother's come. Your father received him safe. He's thrown a party for him. Verse 28, he was angry. Why are you angry? It was just a picture of religion. He was angry. The father was thrilled. Guess who the brother is? The brother is them preachers that Jesus is telling the story to that are mad because God's so good to people. The, the preachers are mad because God is good. He don't care. He's glad because his son's back. All he wants is relationship. And he brought him back into relationship and he's glad. And he goes in this long rigmarole. I have kept every commandment of yours. I have served you. That's a spirit of religion. It's not from heaven. Mad at people because you're better than they are. Look right here. Get over it. Yes, Jesus didn't come to call righteous people. He came to seek sinners and to help them. And this is the great story. Jesus is saying, you've got to understand what he's like. What do you see in this passage right here? God's looking for somebody to be good to. The creator of heaven is looking for somebody to be good to. All right, I'm a criminal. I was raised pretty rough and took some bad charts in life, trying to figure life out. And then I, I think I met, I met Jesus. He intervened in my life. I got messed up in church. And to be honest with you, there came a day I was as confused as a termite and a yo-yo. I, I didn't know which way to... You know, I, the preacher said this and I saw this and this one said this and I'm wanting to do this. And this religious stuff will confuse you. But I settled it one day. I took this Bible and I'm reading this Bible. And what I'm seeing in this Bible doesn't line up with what you're teaching me in church. Imagine. And I just said, I'm going to pray and I'm going to finish this thing. And I looked up at him and I said, if you're the man that I read about in Luke chapter 15, if that's you, I'll spend the rest of my life chasing you. I said, I've had it with this religious stuff. I don't like church anymore. I told him that. I still don't like it much. I said, I've had it with this church stuff. These people are nuts. And I said, they're mean and they're mad. You're glad. And I told Jesus, if you're the guy I see walking on the page of this book, I'll spend the rest of my life chasing you. He's worthy.
The guy in this book is worthy. Listen, don't let church mess you up over Jesus. Learn from the man himself. He wrote you this book. He's looking for somebody to be good to. And this is the heart of the father. This is his goodness. This is why I, I, uh, I get, even church people like to argue with me. Argue all you want to. I'm not going to change this book and make anybody happy. People tell me, I said, Brother Brian, you never know what's going to happen. I do. I know exactly what's going to happen. Goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life. Not because I say, well, you never know. Yes, I do. That man's going to love me every day of my life. And he's going to be doing good things for me every day of my life because of who he is. Period. You know what that's called? Faith. It's called faith when you believe in him. All right, I got to quit, but I got one more thing to tell you. You say, it got to be a catch. This is too good to be true. It's too good not to be true. I mean, every world religion says you die for the king. This king says, no, no, I die for you. A big difference between Jesus and world religion. But I got to tell y'all something. There's a catch. I knew it. You preachers, I knew it. You always set us up and then you knock us down. Hang on a minute. There is a catch. Here's the catch. In uh, Psalm 23, where it says, the God of heaven will love me every day of my life and do good things for me every day of my life. That's verse six. What's verse one say? The Lord is my shepherd. I have to make a decision to let him drive my boat first. Of course, that's no problem with me. I wasn't doing so good driving it anyway. Can I get a witness? Now you may say, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm not as bad as you were. I'm doing much better driving my boat. Mind if I call you about a hundred years from now and see how I was treating you? We'll get to that verse next week. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And in 2 Samuel chapter 9, where that king said, is there somebody I can be good to? That little fellow had to agree to get out of the ghetto and move into the king's house before he could be good to him. And in Matthew chapter 20, when he wanted to pay them 12 hours wages for one hour's work, they had to agree to get in a truck and go with him. And in uh, Luke chapter 15, before that man could be so good to that boy, he had to humble himself and come back home. Yeah, there's a catch. You got to go with him. You got to follow him. But we're not talking about being religious here. We're not talking about you can't smoke, can't drink. I mean, if you want to smoke and drink, fine. Just don't breathe on me. That's none of my business. I don't care what you do. Listen to me. You have to keep the man's rules. I knew it. I knew it. Hang on. I didn't say you had to keep the church's rules. Jesus said in Matthew 23 about preachers, you bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders. Why do you make things so hard for people? I want you to listen to what the book says. This is 1 John chapter 3. We keep his commandments and they are not burdensome. And this is his commandment that we should follow his son and love one another. You know what it says next? Period. So if you want me to sit in your missionary meeting, I ain't going. You want me to go to ministerial meeting? I'd rather have a colonoscopy. I'm not going. You tell me I can't cuss. I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm only 65. I've been following him for 40 years. I'm working on it. Show me some mercy here, man. You tell me I can't fish on Sundays. I may never speak to you again. We ain't having that right there. But you say to me, love this man who died for you and love people. I'm all about that right there. That's it. That's the entire deal. Everything else you said. I I thought y'all couldn't run around with other people's wives. 
Son, I can't keep up with the one I got. Do you think I really need another one? No, no, here, here's the deal. Here's the deal. It's not that I can't run around with somebody else's wife. If I love you, am I going to steal your wife? If I love you, am I going to steal your tractor? If I love you, am I going to stab you in the back? This is not a kingdom of rules. It's a kingdom of compassion. It's about we love him because he first loved us. And I'll make a deal with you. I had a fellow, he was a Mormon at the time. He'd been all kinds of different isms. And he came to me one day and he said, I, he, I know somebody sent me to see him. I go to his house and says, I've come to see you. He sent me out here to talk to you. He said, I swear. Another preacher. This guy, what he said. He said, look, you're a nice guy. He said, I've been through all these religions. I'm done with them. I said, yeah, you and me both. And his name was Howard. I said, Howard, let me make a deal with you. If I were to tell you, we only have two rules. Period. Two, keep two. I'll never ask you to do anything else. Would you come? He said, what are they? I knew I had him when I got him down to two. I said, you love Jesus and you love people. I'll never ask you to do another thing. He said, you serious? I said, yeah. I said, I didn't write it. Read it. He said, I'll be there. And he came and he, would all, he, he became the best servant of God. Matter of fact, we put him as the greeter at the door. Always wore Howardy Flowery High Washington shirts and he always wore short britches. We would shovel the snow and he'd be there in short britches and that Flowery High Washington shirt. And he loved God till the day he died of cancer. And he would say to me every couple years, he'd say, now, you ain't added no more to it besides him too, have you? I said, no, sir. You just love Jesus and love people. And you know what he found? I found something I not only can do, I love doing this. Let me tell you something about doing the will of God. I delight to do your will. It's in my heart. Doing as he is good. And he's looking for somebody to be good to. He's looking for somebody to pay 12 hours wages for one hour's work. I've decided to sign up. This train is bound for glory. I'm getting on it and I'm going. And you, and you think it's good on this planet. He's given me everything in the world and a bright red bass boat on top of all that just because he's kind. Well, actually, I just sold that and bought a green one. I'm sorry, I forgot about that. He's just good to me. My wife asked me, she said, why does one man need four boats sitting in the boat sheds? I said, how many shoes you got in the closet? She says, that's not a fair thing. That's not a good, she says, that ain't right. I'm telling you, God's been good to me. But here's the deal. You have to get on board. You have to follow him. It's not about good or bad. It's about you driving the boat or him driving the boat. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you and praise you for your kindness today. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the heart of God. That's just, how can anybody look at that cross and say that man's bad? How could you look at the cross and perfect God hanging on that cross and say, he's trying to hurt me. He's trying to keep something from me. Nobody does that except for one reason. That's to be good to people. I pray for everybody in this room that the word of God, the Bible, the truth of God would break through the fog of religion and that the light of the gospel, the truth, the good news of Jesus would shine in on their hearts. Father, I don't know where people are at. I don't know what they've heard or what they've been taught all their lives that I pray that all the junk could be laid aside and they could hear the pure truth of the Father that you are looking for somebody to be good to. That when the Lord becomes my shepherd, I shall not want. And goodness and mercy will follow me every day of my life. And then when I croak, I will forever be in his house. It's that simple. Thank you for making it so simple that a truck driver can understand it. We give you all the praise and glory. Now, dear Holy Spirit, you... I love you. Thank you for what you do for us. I ask you to just sort of move through this room right now. 
cause people at heart level to want to follow this man. Draw them to Jesus because I'm fixing to pray with them and I ask you to draw people to Jesus that want to follow him. Well, dear friends, decision time as we're praying. You don't listen to anybody talk about the Bible for information's sake. You listen to make a decision. I want you to make a decision right now. You, you can't, there's no middle ground with Jesus. You either follow him or you reject him. Jesus said, he who is not with me is against me but it's your choice. Follow the man who's trying to be good to you or tell him I can handle this on my own. It's your choice. But if you'd like to follow Jesus, I, I made this decision one day when I was at my lowest point. I was in my deepest trouble. And I just, he came to me. He didn't beat me up. He called me. And I began to follow him. It's been imperfect, but it's been wonderful. And I'm going to give you a chance to do the same thing. You do this at heart level like a child. You just pray a simple prayer from the heart, not to me. I don't save, he does. Talk to him. Something like this, dear Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you came to this earth and died on a cross to prove that you care about me. I believe you rose up out of the grave because you are all powerful. And I believe you're coming back to this earth one day. And today I want to follow you. You've called people to follow you I make the decision today to give you my heart, my life, and follow you. I don't understand everything, but I don't have to. I trust you to help me. Please forgive me of all my sins. I know that you're merciful. And help me. And from this day forward, as best I know how, I want to follow you and chase you. Today, I declare you are the Savior of my life, the Lord of my life, and now you're the love of my life. Help me from this day forward to follow you. I trust you for that. And I pray this prayer in the name of Jesus, strong, powerful Son of God, who will reign forevermore throughout the universe. In His precious name I pray. If you prayed that, raise your hand real high where I can see it. Put your hand up in there real high. Thank you. Put those down. Lord Jesus, thank you that you're still calling people to follow you. Thank you that you're still looking for somebody to be good to. Thank you that you're still saying to people, "Go, go into my vineyard and I'll treat you good. I'll do what's right. I thank you, boy, what you call good is beyond good. And I thank you and praise you that you've called us to yourself. And I thank you that a hundred years from now, we will still be celebrating and hollering over the goodness of our great God. Let Jesus be glorified in everything. In his precious name we pray, amen.